everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of the podcast English with Kaya. I'm your host, Kaya, and I know that it has been a very long time since I released the previous episode of the podcast, and I apologize to you for. For taking a break for such a long time from the podcast. I was um, I was doing a lot of stuff at work and I just got caught up in a lot of <clears throat> work related stuff. And I also moved back to Japan in December, so、uh, from Uzbekistan. So there was there were many things going on. And yeah, so sorry for kind of being off the podcast for so long. And here I'm back. And、uh, yeah, so I'm back. And I hope you guys are doing wonderfully.、Uh, if some of you were wondering,、um, did Kaya disappear into a black hole? No, I haven't disappeared. I haven't been sucked into a black hole. Not yet, anyway. So I'm, yeah, I'm still on Earth. And、um, yeah, so I'm glad to be back. And what else? So, yeah, I mentioned that I came back to Japan and my two year contract in Uzbekistan、uh, ended in December of this year. So,、uh, this year is 2023. So, I was living in Uzbekistan,、uh, a country in Central Asia, for two years. And、um, I, I've come back to Japan recently, just a few weeks ago, and I haven't been back in Japan. I haven't been in Japan for two years. So、um, it's a very big change, but also at the same time, an interesting you know, life,、uh, you know, my next step in life.、Um, yeah, it feels a little bit strange because I guess many of you, if you have had the experience of living, Abroad, like, or in a, in a foreign country for a, a long period of time. And if you've had that experience of returning to your home country after several years in a different culture, I'm sure you have experienced this strange feeling of, well, I've been through so much, I've experienced so many new things,、um, and I've made so many new friends in that new place, in that new environment. But once you come back, at first it feels like Nothing has changed in your hometown, right?、Um, it's the same people, the same neighbors, the, the same family. Of course, it's wonderful that you have the same family to go back to. That's wonderful. And your friends haven't changed.、Uh, nothing has really changed in your home country or your hometown. And you feel like, like it's a bit strange. It's an interesting change. But after a while, you start to notice some things that have changed in your country as well as in the lives of your local friends. So, yeah, it's,、um, it's an interesting,、uh, yeah, and I,、uh, yeah, so I'm back now in Japan, in Tokyo, yeah, and also、uh, it was Christmas for those of you who celebrate Christmas, and soon it'll be、uh, the new year. We'll be wrapping up 2023 and we'll be going into 2024 already. Oh my gosh. So I wish all of you guys a wonderful, happy holiday season. And I wish you and your friends, your families, a wonderful、uh, and relaxing holiday season. All right. So today,、um, that's it for today. Goodbye, guys.、Uh, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. That's,、uh, that's not the end of the episode. <laughs> okay. So. So, today I want to talk. I thought about maybe talking about you know, coming back to Japan and all of that, but I think I'll do that in、um, the near future, in a future episode, because today I want to talk about、um, this、uh, very interesting trip that I had back in Uzbekistan in November. So, that was about like a month and a half ago. So, <clears throat> yeah, I want to talk about that today. And the first question that I want to ask you guys is. Uh, and this is related to the trip I'm going to talk about. What is the greatest ecological tragedy that you know of? And、mm, some people, or many people, might answer global warming.、Uh, or, you know, some people might say、um, the appearance of Arctic sinkholes in the Arctic region. Which is being caused by global warming with the thawing of permafrost.、Um, actually, you can see a documentary about this really scary phenomenon、um, on YouTube. But anyway, yeah, so there are many ecological or environmental yeah, disasters going on right now, and there's a whole list. So I'm sure everyone will have a different answer to this question. But today I want to look at an environmental tragedy that happened. In Central Asia, specifically 
in Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan, which is the shrinking of the Aral Sea. And the Aral Sea, it's the topic of our, our talk today because I went to the Aral Sea in Uzbekistan and it was just a mind-blowing and life-changing experience. So that's why I want to share it with you guys. All right. So what and where is the Aral Sea? The Aral, the Aral Sea, it is located in Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan, and it used to be the fourth largest inland lake in the world. Fourth largest inland. Some people say inland sea. Some people say inland lake. And it used to be 68,000 kilometers square, uh, uh, square kilometers, excuse me, which is very, very large, 68,000 square kilometers. Um, that's really huge. And uh, unfortunately, the Aral Sea started drying up in the 1960s and 1970s when the Soviets, the Soviet government, started to change the direction, the flow of the Amur Dario River, which flowed into the Aral Sea. And the Soviets did this in order to irrigate the vast cotton fields in Uzbekistan. This was unplanned irrigation, not very well planned. So what does it mean to irrigate? Irrigate, this is a verb, it means to draw water from a large body of water, like uh, usually a river. You draw, you usually draw water from a river and you direct it into like a fields or agricultural farmland in order for the water to go into the farmland and help the plants to grow. So that's called uh, to irrigate. It's a farming practice. It's a method. And this activity is called irrigation. That's a noun. So the Amu Dario River was, uh, was used for irrigation and the water went into the farmlands, into the agricultural farmlands used for growing cotton in Uzbekistan <clears throat> instead of flowing into the Aral Sea, which is why the Aral Sea began to shrink. And the cotton production industry has a very long and interesting history in Uzbekistan. Because uh, are you, I'm sure many of you, when you think of cotton, you think of Gone with the Wind, or you think of the American South, the, um, the old South of the USA, where uh, black people were enslaved by white plantation owners to grow cotton in the southern states of the USA. However, when the American Civil War happened, that was a very long time ago, I believe like, what, uh, oh, if I'm not mistaken, like uh, 150 years ago, maybe more, maybe 200 years ago, when, uh, in the, uh, uh, when the American Civil War happened, uh, the, the, the plantations in the south of the U.S. stopped uh, producing cotton and stopped sending that cotton to the international global market and then the Russian Empire said oh hey there's a uh, there's a demand for cotton why don't we fill that demand and make money and so the Russian Empire it was expanding at that time it was uh, the Russians were conquering um, the Caucasus and Central Asia including what is now Uzbekistan and they had conquered parts of Uzbekistan and they realized that the land in Uzbekistan is very fertile Fertile. fertile means like very productive yeah and it can um and the land in the very vast land in uzbekistan can be used to grow lots and lots and lots of cotton and that's what the russian empire did they made these very massive vast cotton plantation fields in uzbekistan and made the locals pick the cotton to send to the international market and that continued during the Soviet era. And during Soviet era, Uzbekistan was uh, the primary producer of cotton in the world. Uzbekistan was just producing and producing and making and making and making lots of cotton, which was exported to foreign countries for the Soviets to make money. So uh, that's the story of cotton production in Uzbekistan. It is still continuing now. So I've, se I've seen a lot of cotton fields, especially in the western parts of Uzbekistan, but not only in the western parts, in other regions of Uzbekistan, you'll see lots of cotton fields, but they're not as large scale as they used to be. They are still very large, um, but it's not the, the only like 
the it's not the only industry. Uh, Uzbekistan has lots of new industries now, but it is it still continues to be a very big part of the of the economy there. And what is interesting is that during Soviet times. The government of Soviet Uzbekistan、um, kind of made children and university students work on the cotton fields during the harvest as volunteer cotton pickers, as workers. And many international brands,、uh, many international organizations said that this is child labor. It is a, it's a criminal act to force children and, and youth to work without、uh, financial compensation. Which is why many international firms、uh, refused to buy Uzbek cotton. They boycotted Uzbek cotton, and as a result of this, the Uzbek government officially banned making children and young people work、uh, on the fields. So now it is not forced. But I think I think it was banned only like、uh, in the two thousand and ten. So like. Until very recently, this、uh, this this form of child and youth labor was going on in Uzbekistan. I think it was just very recently that this stopped happening. And my teacher, who taught me Uzbek, he told me that when he was a university student, he had to go onto the cotton fields during summer vacation and like stay in these like huts on the fields for three or four months and like just pick cotton with no salary. And、um, yeah, so. So yeah, that's the kind of like this whole child labor thing behind cotton. But anyway, I mean, this cotton picking thing has a long history in, in Uzbekistan as well. Some people see it not as a bad thing; they see it as a good thing, where young people get to meet other young people, make maybe find a. Uh, like a boyfriend or a girlfriend in this like、um, cotton picking camp, especially in the villages, it's like part of the socializing, networking, you know, thing. So it's not one hundred percent bad. It's just it has, you know, it has stopped being officially forced on young people these days. Anyway, so the Aral Sea. It has shrunk, and as I mentioned before, it used to be sixty-eight thousand square kilometers, and it shrunk to just ten percent of its original size in two thousand and seven, which means that now it is even smaller. And the eastern part of、uh, the Aral Sea is now completely dried up. It has turned into a desert, and it is called the Aral Kum Desert because Aral is is the or- original name. But Kum means sand in Uzbek, so the Aral Sand Desert. Right, the sea has become a desert, and it is very, very polluted because during Soviet times, when they were irrigating the water from the Amudarya River,、um, they were using lots. They were using tons of fertilizer to grow the cotton, and the fertilizer has. Flown into what used to be the Aral Sea, making it just super contaminated, just a not healthy water. And the Aral Sea used to be a hub. Hub is like the center of something, yeah, for fishermen and fishing villages. And it used to have a large fishing industry,、uh, very large. And they used to have like fishing villages and fishing canning factories.、Um, All on, like on the shores of the Aral Sea. Now all of that is gone, and、uh, Moynak—that's a name. Moynak、uh, used to be one of the central hubs, one of the central port cities on the Aral Sea. It used to be like you know a vibrant city with lots of fishermen. Now that place has become like this deserted, rundown village, and they have what is called the graveyard of ships at Moynak. And I visited that place,、um, and they also have a museum there. It's called the Graveyard of Ships because the government moved some very large fishing ships, which used to operate on the Aral Sea, into what used to be Moynak. So if you go there, you'll see like about ten. Fishing like ships,、um, kind of sitting on the sand. So this place used to be an inland sea. So these ships were sailing on the Aral Sea just thirty, forty years ago. But now, because all the water is gone, these ships are just sitting there on on the desert, just rusting away.、Um, it's really a reminder of how rapidly the water disappeared from. 
the Aral Sea and how these ships were just left to rot, like on the desert. It's really um, a striking, it almost felt like a warning from nature. And it's really frightening how in such a short period of time, in just 40, 50 years, in just half a century, such a large body of water, an inland sea, could almost completely disappear because of human activities. And it almost feels like it is a warning from nature that if we exploit nature, then it will end in disaster. In disaster not only for the Aral Sea, but also for the people uh, living near it and the animals and the birds there because all the fish are dead. Most of them are dead, they're gone. The animals uh, which used to live in the region, they have also left. Um, the birds have left, the humans have lost, lost their livelihood, their livelihood of fishing in the Aral Sea and the consequences, you know. A consequence, this is a noun, it means a result, yeah. A synonym is outcome or effect, effect with an E, effect. So consequence, result, outcome, effect, all of these means result, yeah? they're just synonyms. And effect, not affect, because effect, E-F-F-E-C-T, effect, this effect is usually used as a noun, meaning a result. Whereas affect, with an A at the beginning, affect is usually a verb, meaning to influence. For instance, okay, many people like confuse this, so it's important to know this. Uh, so, affect means affect something, means to influence something. For example, the weather is affecting my mood. The weather is influencing my mood. Yeah. Whereas effect with an e, if effect, this is a noun. For example, uh, one of the effects of global warming is that we have uh, hotter days in summer. One of the effects, so like one of the results of global warming is that we have hotter days in summer. So e, so effect with an e is usually a noun, it means result, whereas affect with an a at the beginning, it's usually a verb meaning to influence something or someone. So let's remember, like uh, these two words sound similar, but they have different meanings. All right, so the consequence, the effect with an E, the effect of the drying up of the Aral Sea is that number one, temperature rise, regional global warming in the area because you have no water where there used to be water, and desertification, which means the expansion of the desert, and sandstorms, as you can imagine, of course, contaminated water. Contaminated means dirty, a synonym is polluted polluted water, as I mentioned before, because of the fertilizers, and also uh, polluted and saline soil. Saline means very salty, because the sea used to be there, but the sea is gone. So all the salt that used to be in that sea, it's kind of kind of left in the soil. So the, the soil is very salty, very saline. And that's not good for the food, that is the crops that are grown in that soil by the locals, because if you eat vegetables and fruits that are grown in and so that is too saline too salty then that's not good for you like too much salt can actually kill you right so uh, which is why lots of local people get diseases and illnesses and they have a slightly like higher rate of cancer like in that local area in that local population compared to other areas all of this is is affecting with an a affecting the you know the local local people's health in a negative way it's just not good and also the animals the fish and birds are all gone because well there's no water anymore the soil is polluted there's nothing to eat there anymore and the Amudaro River itself is becoming shallower and drier, bringing less water to the region. And, and the Amudaro River, it's, this is also like a, it's also a geopolitical problem because the Amudaro River passes through not only Uzbekistan, but through other Central Asian countries. And some people are saying that, you know, in Afghanistan, the, the Afghans are trying to divert the Amudaro River or something, or, or they've, they're making, or they've made a canal, I'm, I'm not sure about the details, um, and you know, they're trying to, the Afghans are trying to take most of the water from the Amudaro. I mean, it's also a geopolitical issue. And also, um, 
So I've mentioned all of these very bad results, these um, uh, unwanted results that have come from the disappearance of the Aral Sea. And we can say that the shrinking of the Aral Sea, the drying up of the Aral Sea, has left many environmental, you can also say ecological, disasters. Disaster is an event that causes lots of damage. Uh, for example, <clears throat> the Chernobyl disaster, the Fukushima power plant uh, disaster, the, a tsunami is a disaster, a fire is a disaster, a flood is a disaster, a large earthquake is a disaster. All of these are disasters. A synonym of disaster is catastrophe. Yeah, So you can say one of the largest catastrophes of our times is global warming, for instance. The drying up of the Aral Sea has left many environmental catastrophes in its wake. In its wake, um, this is a phrase, it means after it, following it. Yeah, So in its wake. And we often say like, Wake, if you use it as a verb, it means to wake up, to open your eyes. When you wake up in the morning, your consciousness comes back from the dream world to reality. But here, wake is used as a noun and it means after something. So it doesn't mean to wake up. It's a different meaning. We often say in the wake of, which means after or as a result of. For example, many people were left homeless and hungry in the wake of the devastating earthquake and tsunami. This we can say many people were left homeless and hungry after or as a result of the devastating earthquake and tsunami. In the wake of. yeah, Devastating, that means, that's an adjective, it means very damaging and very destructive. It's, it damages lots of things and lots of people. The war that is currently going on in Ukraine, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, has been devastating yeah, for the local people. Uh, obviously. And the Aral Sea. So the Aral Sea, the drying up of the Aral Sea, as you can see, it is a huge disaster. It is, um, it's a tragedy, basically. It's, a, it's an environmental, ecological catastrophe. And I went to the Aral Sea in November. Uh, we left from Nukus. Nukus is the capital of the Autonomous Republic of Karakal, Pakistan. Karakal, Pakistan is an autonomous republic that exists within Uzbekistan. So it's part of Uzbekistan, but they also have an autonomous status. They have their own government. But anyway, it's like an it's not a country, but it's like mm, it's how do I it's difficult to explain. It's like mm, well anyway, it's like an autonomous republic within Uzbekistan. And the Aral Sea is on the territory of Karakal, Pakistan in Uzbekistan and the neighboring country, Kazakhstan. Interestingly, the flag of Karakal, Pakistan, it's a little bit different from the flag of Uzbekistan. So they even have like a separate flag, but it's still part of Uzbekistan. So anyway, and it was interesting because I spent one day in Nukus and I really felt, I recognized that Karakal, Pak people are very different from Uzbeks. Their facial features are more Mongolian. They're more... I just felt their facial features um, were closer to Kazakhs and Kyrgyz, more like Eastern kind of closer to like Mongolian features compared to Uzbeks who Uzbeks, there are many different types of Uzbeks, but Uzbeks, I feel that they're just closer to the Middle East in, in terms of, you know, how they look, their appearance, but the Karakalpaks, they really looked like Kazakhs or um, like Mongolians. And also the Karakalpak language, it's also very different from Uzbek. Um, they have some similar words, but otherwise I did not understand any Karakalpak at all. Yeah, it's very different from Uzbek. Also, the food was also very different in Karakal, Pakistan. So if you're ever in Central Asia and, you know, you might be interested to go to Karakal, Pakistan, this very interesting, like, cultural and ethnic and historical island within Uzbekistan that's different from the rest of Uzbekistan. Okay. All right. So... Moinak, it used to be, it's a former fishing village on what used to be the shoreline of the Aral Sea that's also in Karakal, Pakistan. Uh, we went there, we, we saw the graveyard of ships standing in the sand. If you Google the Aral Sea or the graveyard of ships, the Aral Sea, I'm sure you will see the, the, all of these pictures. 
of these ships lined up on the sand. And we rode across what used to be the bottom of the Aral Sea on a jeep with a guide. The bottom, that means like the lowest part of something, the bottom of the sea, the bottom of the ocean. We went there with a jeep, with a very experienced driver, with a guide, and while we were riding on the bottom of the Aral Sea, it was like a roller coaster. It was so crazy because the bottom of what used to be the sea was very muddy. There was no like road or anything. So we were just riding across this crazy muddy desert and the Jeep kept on like swerving, swerving to the right, swerving to the left and up and down, up and it was like riding on a roller coaster <laughs> for like four or five hours. Um, and the seatbelts didn't help. Um, we just had to grab onto whatever we had in order to prevent ourselves from hitting our heads on the ceiling of the car because that would have been very dangerous and it was pretty dangerous but it was fun <laughs> and uh, we were just like uh, grabbing onto anything we could just like uh, and the car was jumping around up and down left and right um, for several hours it was so crazy yeah, a lot of adrenaline really scary but fun also there were some low-lying plants on the that land that place because apparently the government of Uzbekistan is planting the plants there to prevent or to kind of try to stop desertification desertification is happening but they are trying to alleviate they are trying to mitigate desertification alleviate that's a verb it means to alleviate means to um, if there's something bad happening if you try to alleviate it you're trying to make it less worse not stop it completely but you're trying to make the results less bad mitigate that's a synonym of alleviate for example when you have a horrible headache you should drink these pills because these pills will mitigate they will alleviate the pain yeah they will make the pain less worse basically so the government is playing some small plants there yeah and stuff like that after several hours on this crazy crazy roller coaster we finally the jeep went up onto a plateau yeah uh, the plateau. A plateau is an area of fairly flat high ground. It's a, it's like high ground, um, higher than the rest of the land, and it's very flat. It's very level. Yeah, level means flat. And we went up onto a plateau. This plateau used to be the shore of the Aral Sea. The shore. That's the land surrounding. Um, a lake or uh, like a, a body of water so we went up onto a plateau onto like a highland uh, plateau and we drove across the flat plateau for hours and hours uh, it was like three four five I don't remember like just very very long and um, it's it's it it's really cool because this plateau goes on for thousands and thousands and thousands of kilometers and there is no life there whatsoever. Yes, there are some like low-lying shrubs and some plants, but you don't see insects there. You don't see animals there. You don't see birds there. It's just like this completely lifeless plain, this lifeless plateau that goes on forever, endlessly, infinitely. And the only sound you hear in that place, the only sound that is audible to you is the sound of the very strong wind that is blowing across the highlands, that is blowing across the plateau all 24-7. You just co constantly hear the wind, just the wind is very strong. And that is the only sound you hear there. And nothing else, no humans, of course, no villages, of course, no towns, of course, just plains, plains, plains and shrubs, just the horizon, 30, 360 degrees around you and the sun somewhere up above or maybe at night, maybe the moon or the stars, but nothing, no life. And because the plateau is higher than the rest of the ground, um, the sky is closer to you. The sky feels closer to you and you can see the clouds really close to you and the clouds there the forms the shapes of the clouds are so like artistic and creative and you feel like you feel like you've come to a divine world you it feels very otherworldly it doesn't feel like this earth I felt like I had gone to a different planet as if we had landed on a different planet I really felt that I was like oh I feel like we're on a different planet are we really still on earth because it, it was so 
otherworldly. Otherworldly. That's an adjective. It means it feels like、um, it doesn't belong to this world that we are familiar with. And、um, it felt so crazy. And、uh, there were also canyons there, canyons that had been formed millions of years ago. And just these ex- like massive, Vast, enormous canyons,、uh, continuing for thousands of kilometers. I think, in terms of size,、uh, these canyons are the same size as the Grand Canyon、uh, in the USA, and I call them the Grand Canyon of Central Asia because that's what they are. They are the Grand Canyons of Central Asia. They're just continuing for miles, and they are so big, like just the enormity. Yeah, so. Enormous. That's an adjective. It means big, very big. It means huge. Enormity. That's a noun. It means the hugeness, the largeness of something, the enormity of the landscape, the enormity, the largeness, the scale of these canyons just blew my mind away. I was astounded. I was stunned. I was, I was completely like psychologically, like completely. My my mind was blown. My mind was blown away by the enormity of these canyons, and they reminded me. So we got off the sheep, not the sheep. We didn't get off the sheep. We got off the jeep several times on the plateau to, you know, to look at these amazing landscapes and the canyons and other places. And when I was looking at these canyons, I realized the smallness, the insignificance of us humans. We humans are so. Tiny. We're so small. We we are so insignificant compared to the largeness, the enormity, the infinite, the endless scale of、uh, nature and of the earth and of the cosmos of the universe. We are just so small. The universe is extremely vast, whereas we human creatures are very very small. And this experience was, in a way, very、um, cathartic. Cathartic—that's an adjective. It means, how should I explain cathartic?、Um, basically, cathartic means providing psychological relief through the open expression of strong emotions. Basically, therapeutic. If you're having problems in life, maybe you express these problems vocally. You talk about it. Then. And then after that, maybe if you feel better, then that experience has been cathartic for you. You let out what's kind of pent up inside you, and after that, you feel better. That's cathartic. So, looking at this large landscape was、uh, very cathartic for me because I felt, well, we humans are so tiny and insignificant. It it just um it just felt like oh the universe is so much bigger and like you know we I don't know it just. Made me feel like oh we have less responsibility in the cosmos than we thought we did. I mean I don't I'm not saying that we are irresponsible for our actions or that we don't have to take responsibility for our actions. That's not what I'm saying. It's just I felt in the larger scheme of things, in the larger scheme of nature of of the universe, we are so small, unrecognizably small, and whatever we do, it's so. It's not gonna leave much of an imprint, okay, on the cosmos. That's not to say we should. I'm not saying that we should do whatever we want,、uh, whatever、uh, could destroy nature. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we should strive to. I don't. I, it's hard to explain this catharsis that I experienced there. Well, it just made me feel like because the universe is so large. And you know we we too should strive for higher, for bigger things. You know we should we shouldn't just look at like small tiny details in our small tiny ant lives. We should kind of aim for bigger goals. You know like、um, for good goals, for the better of humanity, for the better of nature and the cosmos, things like that. You know it was very cathartic and. This really otherworldly landscape. We were the only humans there. I didn't see one single other human on that day on that plateau. This place.、Um, the guy told us that there are white worms. I said there are no animals, and there are no animals. But if you go down into what used to be the former Aral Sea, down from the plateau, he said that there are some white worms there in the mud. Only licensed hunters. Can enter and hunt the worms, and apparently these hunters sell the white worms to the Chinese for making medicine. There was even like a worm hunter checkpoint. This van was sitting in the the middle of the plateau, and I asked them what what's the van doing there. 
and the guide said, oh, they're just checking to see if only the licensed hunters are entering from this point onward. And I was like, this kind of feels like Star Wars. It, it really felt like we were on a planet in the world of Star Wars. It's really a Star Wars planet. And also this desolate landscape that just continues forever. And you're the only souls there. And all you see are plateaus and plains and canyons. And down below you see the what used to be the Aral Sea, maybe some you know mountains in the horizon, all of this reminded me of the world of the Lord of the Rings. I, I really wouldn't have been surprised if like Gandalf came riding on his horse across the plains. It just felt so like from the world of science fiction or, or fantasy. It was just really an astounding world. And also I thought, is this otherworldly place a reflection of what our planet will look like after we humans disappear? So after we have done our part destroying nature, destroying ourselves after we go extinct, is this what our planet will look like? Which is almost a little bit sad because humans destroying themselves is, well, it's our own fault. If we end up destroying ourselves, I hope that will not happen. But what's the sad thing is that also the animals, insects, all the other life forms have also disappeared from this place. So if we end up destroying ourselves, that might also mean we destroy other living things on the planet, which is really sad because all the other living things also have the right to live, and if we end up destroying them, that's um, that's really a horrible thing to happen. So I hope it won't happen, but anyway, I just felt like, oh, you know, if we humans disappear, this might be what our planet might look like, completely lifeless. Maybe it's a warning from nature, you know. Maybe nature is saying this is what happens if you meddle too much with the environment. Yeah, meddle. That's a verb, it means to disturb, to interrupt, to disturb something that you shouldn't be disturbing, basically. Okay, and uh, yeah, so it was um, it was really an interest. Interesting isn't the right word. It's, I'm just, um, I'm just trying to think of the right word. All this time, those two days riding in and around the Aral Sea, the only word that came out of my mouth was, this is grand grandiose wow grandiose that was the only word that i could that seemed to even come a bit close to what i saw there the just the bigness of all this not and the grandioseness yeah the massive vastness of this landscape yeah i just it was indescribable it's beyond words and yeah we were you know riding across this place very interesting place i mentioned that there were some short shrubs on the plants but basically the plantation the vegetation there was very sparse sparse that's an adjective the antonym of sparse is plentiful and abundant so sparse means there's not much of it yeah vegetation is sparse in this area there's not much vegetation in this area and the opposite is plentiful abundant you know for example there is abundant water in japan yeah there is plenty of plentiful water in japan uh, so abundant plentiful that means like oh there's a lot of it yeah okay after that day we rode across the plains uh, in and around the Aral sea after that we stayed at a yurt camp on the plateau uh, again, there was a strong wind. We could see the stars and the moon because the sky was pretty clear. There was no light pollution there, no noise pollution, no air pollution. The air was very clear, yeah, on the day we were there. A yurt. A yurt is a Central Asian tent that's like round, yeah? It's round. And in the past, whole families used to live in the yurts. And actually, before we got to the yurt camp, our jeep got stuck on a hill in the mud because it was after the rain. It was raining in the morning when we set off. And so the land had become all muddy and our jeep got stuck. I was like, oh, we're stuck in the middle of nowhere with no one to help us. What's going to happen? It's dark. It's rainy. Um, but anyway, what happened was our guide got off the jeep and he somehow got the wheel to get out of the mud. Yeah, and it worked out in the end. But that was one small adventurous episode of that day. 
And the next day, after breakfast, we went down onto the shore of the remains of the Aral Sea. And the Aral Sea, the water is still there, but it's very muddy and it is still shrinking. So it's still, you know, the water is still existent in some places, but it is a ghost of its former self. Um, but it's still very large, but it's, it's, you know, it's less than 10% of what it used to be. And the water, as I said before, is very dirty, polluted, so we shouldn't go in there. It's just very muddy and all of that. And I said the shore, yeah? The shore is the land that surrounds a lake or an inland ocean, or you can say the shore of the ocean, the land along the ocean. But the land along the ocean, you can also call that a coast, uh, coast or a coastline. The coast is used only for the ocean. So we wouldn't, we don't say the coast of the lake. We don't say that. We wouldn't say the coast of the Aral Sea because the Aral Sea is, strictly speaking, it's not an ocean. It's an inland sea. It's an, it used to be an inland sea. Now it's like an inland lake. So we wouldn't say the coast of the Aral Sea. We would say the shore of the Aral Sea. Yeah, so for lakes and inland seas, we would say shore. For the ocean, we can say shore, or we can say the coast, the coast of Australia, the eastern coast of the United States, for example, something like that. And we went down into what used to be, no, what is still the Aral Sea, but it's to the shore, but it's, it has become kind of dirty and stuff. And on that day, we stopped at several different places. We made a stop at a bunch of tombstones, left on the plains by ancient people a thousand years ago. You know, these tombstones standing there in the middle of the plateau is just very surreal, right? And to think that people living here who used to live here made these tombstones thousands of years ago, that's just so wow. Like, it's just really an incredible experience and we had like a 360 degrees view of the plateau with the horizon on every side at that tombstone place as well as all day while we rode across the plains we also made a stop at a village with real people living there with only 50 families and this village is in the middle of nowhere it is in the it is located on the plateau for thousands of kilometers around it, there's nothing, no gas stations, no roads, no villages, no towns, no nothing. And these 50 families are living there in this isolated village um, because they are Kazakhs and apparently they were sent there during Soviet times. And the men of the families there, they are working at a mining, at a drilling place because under this plateau there's a lot of gas so there are some extraction points gas extraction points in some places and apparently the people in those families are working at this gas extraction place on the plateau and it's really strange because this village has only one school apparently with only 20 kids <laughs> in total one hospital one small shop with some foodstuffs and that's it. All of the rest is just houses of people. They have internet. They have Wi-Fi. Imagine being born in that village and growing up in that village. What would it feel like? The only people you know in the world are these 50 families around you. All around you just see endless plains, endless plateau, and the wind. And you have the internet so you can access YouTube, Facebook, SNS, Instagram. Yeah, you can access Netflix if you want, but the only world that you know of in reality is that isolated village in the middle of nowhere. If a person from this village went to Nukus or went to Tashkent, they would feel like, oh my god, why are there so many buildings, so many people? It's the first time I see a road, something like that. It would be a completely alien and shocking experience for them because they live in this completely isolated world Let's completely separated from the rest of civilization. I just find that so strange. And um, apparently when the people of this village, when they need some extra food, apparently they like drive a jeep to the nearest town where, they're, where, they, where they can buy food, which is Kongrad. But that is still like, you know, half a day's drive across the plateau where there is no road, right? So it's just really crazy to think about what would it feel like to grow up in this village, yeah? 
Also, we went to a place that, you know, a lake that's an extension of the Aral Sea. Um, and we, we saw some places where there used to be factories along this lake, uh, factories where people who had been deported, Polish people, Jewish people, people from all across the Soviet Union who had been deported to these places during Soviet times. Maybe they were accused of being like anti-communist or anti-Stalin. Many of these people were uh, deported. If they were not executed, they were sent to concentration camps or they were sent to these places in the middle of nowhere to work at some factory. This happened in the 1930s and 40s, um, maybe even a little in the 50s. I don't think the maybe th you know, mostly 30s and 40s. And so these people had been living there, working in the factories. So there was even an old cinema that was falling into ruins. Um, so you could see that there used to be a community of people living here. And we also saw a graveyard there of Polish people who had been deported and who had had to live their entire lives in this place with, um, with nothing. Um, and it was a strange and weird, also sad, also, you know, historically valuable, but at the same time, really sad reminder of all the crimes committed by the Soviet Union of uh, forcefully kidnapping and deporting its own citizens, as well as, you know, people from other countries, Poland, Lithuania, and sending them to God knows where, mostly to Siberia, but also to even to places like Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, you know, this to these plateaus where there's basically nothing to live off of. Yeah, it's, um, I just, yeah, it was um, a very interesting experience. And so we drove, you know, across this plain, across this plateau. We also stopped at an ancient town near Nukus. And this ancient town had, by ancient, I mean like several thousand years ago. And they, it had an old graveyard with Zoroastrian motifs. Zoroastrianism is one of the oldest religions in the world, and it originated in what is now Iran. Um, and the people of Central Asia, they used to believe in Zoroastrianism before the Arabs brought Islam to this region. So uh, Zoroastrianism, for Zoroastrians, the most sacred god, should I say, the, the, the most sacred um, element in the world is fire, so they worship fire. And we saw these very old ancient graveyards with the Zoroastrian stuff, history in front of your eyes, right? And then after that, we the driver drove us back to Nukus in the evening. And um, yeah, that was the end of our two-day road trip across the Aral Sea and the places around it. It was just a wow experience. <laughs> Some experiences are indescribable. Indescribable means you cannot describe it. It's, it is, I think I've said this before, it is beyond words. I just cannot, I mean, you can say, okay, you can say, oh, Starry Night by Van Gogh is a beautiful, inspirational painting. You can describe it, right? Um, okay, some paintings uh, by Van Gogh, by others are, yes, they are indescribably beautiful. That's true. But when you see something, when you go to a place that's so far flung, that's so far away from civilization, that is so, so not of this world, you feel like you really can't do justice to it with words. Even photos don't do justice because I took a lot of photos there and I look back at the photos and I'm like, the reality, the real thing was a thousand times better. The photo just doesn't convey the the wowness of this place, of this experience. And you, words too, it's hard to describe this experience in words, but I have tried, I've tried my best, and I hope I have been able to convey some part of what it felt like to be in this place. So I really recommend you guys to try out this Aral Sea tour. I mean, if you're interested, I'll put a link to the Aral Sea tour uh, in the in the show notes below in the description. So if you're interested, if you want to go on this tour, you can click on that link and you know book a tour there. It's easy to book a tour just through this travel agency. They have everything organized. But it's just this experience was uh, the most memorable experience that I have had in the past couple of years. One of the most memorable experiences. It is completely unforgettable. And I want to go there again. I would love to go there again. Yeah. So guys, thank you so much for listening. And just kind of looking back, 
what do you think? How can we solve, or at least how can we alleviate, how can we mitigate large-scale environmental problems? Like, for example, the Aral Sea. How can we stop it from shrinking more, or how can we stop the various bad consequences of global warming? For example,、uh, the Production of too much CO2, for example. What are your ideas? I would love to hear about your ideas. Yeah, like what can we do to mitigate climate change and all of these global environmental problems? What do you think?、Um, I think, well, of course, we all need to work together, which is easy to say. But、um, you know, public policy, public health policy, infrastructure, engineering, SDGs, all of these fields need to come together. All of the specialists from these fields need to come together, work together.、Um, I think the best way to combat or to tackle these ecological issues is to work from an interdisciplinary perspective, not just to focus on one part. We need to. Work across many sectors. The economy is involved. Infrastructure is involved. Engineering is involved. Public health is involved. All of these different sectors need to cooperate and collaborate to tackle these very serious and big issues. It's not easy, and、um, yeah, I know many institutions are promoting you know interdisciplinary approaches, but of course it's always easier said than done. But when you when we work. From an interdisciplinary perspective, we might get a completely new idea from a different field that inspires us, something like that. So, anyway, okay. And uh, guys, uh, please leave a review and a rating for this episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave.、Uh, please click on the stars on on your podcast app. And also, please remember to have a wonderful New Year's with your family, friends, and loved ones.、Uh, a wonderful New Year! And 2023, I I personally had a wonderful 2023. I was able to achieve many things. I just、um, I'm really happy about what I did, what what my friends did. They continue to do for me. I'm just grateful to all my friends in Japan, also in Uzbekistan. Because 2023 was a blast for me. It was great, and I hope it was a blast for you too. I hope you had a wonderful 2023, a wonderful year with new discoveries, and I hope that the new year 2024 will turn out to be amazing for everyone, for all of you guys, for all of, for all of us, for me, for you, for everyone. Yeah, I hope that 2024 will be a even better year than 2023. I hope that 2024 will bring Peace to the world, because of course there are many regions of the world where there is conflict, and、uh, I just hope that 2024 will see an end to some of these conflicts, and I hope that、uh, many of us will see our dreams come true in the new year. So, happy new year to all of you, to all of my wonderful listeners. Thank you so much for listening and for tuning in today. Thanks for coming on the journey to the Aral Sea with me. If you want to check it out, please do. Please go there if you're interested. I highly recommend it.、And、by the way, if you want to go on this RLC tour, I recommend the two-day tour or the three-day tour, not the one-day tour, because the one-day tour will only take you to Moynak and then back to Nukas, which is very boring. Okay, I will be honest with you. The exciting part starts after Moynak, after you go into the wilderness, yeah, after you leave the road, right? So. Leave the road and go into the the wild the wild areas. So if you're going, I totally recommend that you go on the two day or even better the three day tour. Yeah, that's better. And also, please go in April or May, or September, October, or November. Don't go in winter. Uh, and don't go in the summer. Don't go in June, July, August because those months are crazy hot in Uzbekistan. If you go, you will probably be roasted and die on the plateau. I'm not joking. So, either April or May, or September, October, or November. The milder, yeah, the milder months are what I recommend. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that was my travelogue from the Aral Sea. And happy New Year to everyone. Have a wonderful New Year. Happy New Year to you and your family and friends! I'll see you again in the New Year. In the meantime, please have a wonderful New Year and New Year celebrations. Thanks for listening.